And we have something here where the heat pipes clang. It sounds like there's, there's a gangster locked in a trunk, you know, trying to bang on the pipes to let him out. It sounds like Billy Bats is in our basement and he can't get out. (laughs) (laughs) Greetings across whatever you listen to podcasts on. This is the Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell. It's the podcast that takes you inside the mind of someone as they prepare for, perform, and reflect upon performances of live musical accompaniments to silent films. I'm your host, Ben Modell. Thanks for listening, and welcome to episode 42, which we are recording. I'm recording with co-host and co-producer Kerr Lockhart in early December of 2021. Hello, Kerr. Hey, Ben. Well, it's we haven't recorded since March. Yes. <laughs> but we, we did manage to get uh, those episodes out just recently. And we usually, I don't like the shows to be too time identified. But in fact, uh, today's episode is really going to be a roundup of 2021 and looking ahead to 2022. This is more um, news you can use than it is aesthetics because we've done some aesthetic yeah. deep dives. Yeah, and, and there's a lot to recap. It, it's, been, it's been quite a year. 2021 has been quite a year. It turned out to be more than than, uh, you expected. I mean, I was stunned when you got to midsummer, and it it seemed as though you were doing an average about three or four shows a week. Yeah, the first half of the year was all about live streaming. And then once we hit July, where I got to accompany the new restoration of our hospitality, the Buster Keaton film, at MoMA, outdoors. It was not only their first in-person film screening, uh, it was done outdoors in their sculpture garden, but it was also the first silent film uh, screening in New York City since the pandemic. There was this interesting melt that happened in the second half of June, where all of a sudden, at that time, we were all thinking, oh, we can have July 4th and see each other in person and that sort of thing. And people who uh, had been in a holding pattern for months and months Suddenly, I w- within 10 days, I had gotten a number of emails from different venues where they were, okay, how about this date? How about that date? Can we do this? Are you available? And I had chunks of the fall suddenly come online between MoMA resuming programming that had been slated for March of 2020, a series of restored Edison and Biograph shorts. I think I had 15 shows that month. It was really quite something after a year and a half of virtual cinema only. People feeling, oh, we can program stuff for two or three months from now. With one exception, all the shows that I had booked wound up happening. Was there an adjustment going live again? I mean, the last show we just talked about adjusting to the virtual. Was there an adjustment back? The adjustment for me was the resumption of leaving my house to do a show, (laughs) going to another place to do a show. And as I think I mentioned, where I was no longer also the booth, where I could just show up, say hello to the projections, chat a little bit, and then not have to worry about the image being on screen or not, or looking over my shoulder at my MacBook to see if we were streaming or look up to see if Mana is giving me the, the okay sign or the thumbs up. 
sometimes I think just wrestling with the uh, MIDI can can be enough of a a strain. The, yeah, the, the the shows that I played at the AFI Silver, they have an Allen organ, what I call a ballpark sound, but there's a MIDI output jack in the back, so I can bring my MacBook Pro and then sound system, and so instead of hearing the 1980-whatever electronic sounds, you got to hear the Hauptwerk and Paramount Organ Works uh, samples that I use going through the house sound system. So I had five shows that weekend. There was at least one where the MIDI was like, you know, I'm going to just fail just to let you know who's boss. <laughs> and I played the show on the Allen, which was fine. Uh, it's it's good exercise for me to get used to those sounds and make it work. But then I troubleshot it. We had the sound of the Mighty World or for the shows of So This Is Paris and some of the short shows. So well, this is the life of a pianist compared to, you know, a flautist or a saxophone who brings their instrument and knows their instrument. Keyboard artist, yeah. uh, you you walk in. Art Tatum was famous for being able to sit down and uh, the F-sharp doesn't work and uh, this a, bottom A doesn't work. And uh, these things, when I hit this, it actually plays three notes. Yeah. And he was famous for being able to play around that. <laughs> well, I think that that's really useful. I mean, mm-hmm. there every once in a while you're going to play an instrument where there are notes that don't behave or on an organ that don't speak and you don't turn up your nose and walk. You just go, okay, well, I guess the tremulant on that side of the house is out today. And sometimes it may die in during a show. What are you going to do? Because years ago I learned piano tuning and some tech and I'll be playing the piano and I'll be fixing and diagnosing the action. Like, oh, if I could just pull the action out and fix that's the repetition spring, even if, if I just show up and play whatever the instrument is, sometimes it's a Steinway D and it's wonderful. And sometimes it's a console piano or a spinet, which isn't really a piano. A spinet is a, a mantelpiece with piano keys. <laughs> it's the right height to put pictures of your grandkids on. It's not, they're not really pianos. But I would play any spinet anywhere. Don't worry. Uh, if you have a spinet in your theater, I will play it. Being flexible, that's been the theme song of the entire pandemic. So it's just been good being able to put on a suit, leave, go somewhere else. And just, just the act of going somewhere else to do a thing. If there's something that's good for the soul. The other adjustment, which was fun, is meeting people who were fans of the silent comedy watch party. Wow, I think that really is raised your profile terrifically you you really got a brand gosh you even now got swag you know the swag we started in december of last year i suddenly mm-hmm. got this idea you know usually when you think of having merch for and uh, with your logo on it it's a marketing and branding thing and so you know the pandemic has changed what entertainment means to people uh, and it's certainly my impression of what it means to and for people and we Steve and I, this hit us the first or second week of the watch party just from the the messages we're getting, how much it meant to people to be able to just tune out the world and enter the world of silent film and to have that respite and just the craziness of the silent comedy film universe. It became appointment television. I think there's a lot of people in the UK for whom watching the show live is has become appointment telly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's the right way to put it, and you're and you're show, on in, in Sunday evening there, so it's yeah a nice Sunday evening time. for them, and mm-hmm. and it's just this show has meant so much to people. I thought, well, let's see what happens. 
This past weekend, I went to a show in Bedford, New York. I'm, I'm putting up my, my light, getting myself set, and the guy comes in. It's the first one in the theater, and his assigned seat is right behind the piano. And uh, he's wearing a silent comedy watch party T-shirt. This guy named Kevin from, from from that area up in Bedford, he said, you guys, I've spent so a lot of money because he said, you and Steve recommend a DVD or a Blu-ray or a book, and he's been buying stuff. Imana and I did a show in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont, at a place called Epsilon Spires, which has an SD pipe organ. <laughs> First of all, somebody overhears Mana and I talking, and he he comes up to Mana. He says, "I know what you're you're going to tell me. I have a few minutes to make popcorn." <laughs> <laughs> and she said, "Yes." And then another guy came in and waved at me with one hand. I was like, I waved back. I didn't know who this was. And he said, "You told us to wave." I said, oh, that's right. And he had come from Mystic, Connecticut just for the show. It was Metropolis. And when I did my intro, I mentioned the silent comedy watch party and a handful of people waved with one hand. And this has happened over and over at, at shows. Let's hear a bit of that August 30 performance of Metropolis at Epsilon Spires in Brattleboro on an SD pipe organ over 100 years old. This is the scene where the scientist Rotvang brings the robot Maria to life, and it is not played as a horror cue, but with a sense of awe and wonder at this new technology.
was Ben Modell playing his improvised score for Metropolis on an SD pipe organ at Epsilon Spires in Brattleboro, Vermont. It's the people who've come up to me and told me how much the show has meant to them. People have come up and said, the silent comedy watch party got me through the pandemic. Thank you so much. It's really made me change how I look at what I do. How do you mean? There's a book one of Bob Hope's writers wrote about Bob Hope. He talks about the first time Bob Hope played an army base at the beginning of World War II or just before. And he figured, ah, it's another show. And he gets there and he does his material. I and got here last night, so I had to sleep in the barracks with the men. Overwhelmed him. You know what barracks are? 2,000 cots separated by individual crap games. <laughs> And he realized, oh my God, these, these people really need to laugh and really needed the respite. Well, before the pandemic, you're just doing a show. People would ask, how's the print? Or which version is this? Or they're happy to see it. And you count the house and like, oh, yeah, it was a good show or whatever. How do you feel the playing went? But the silent film universe, and especially with silent comedy, is so surreal and crazy. And it really can just take you out of whatever your reality is. And people really needed that in 2020. And and I think that's still the case where people really needed to laugh. So it meant more. It's not just a show, but we were providing enjoyment that people who were stuck in their homes and worried about what was going to happen next from one day to the next really needed. Yeah, there there were people who, who let us know that it anchored their week. They knew in this time when... Nobody could tell what day of the week it was. And and you're building a community. Comedy is the gateway for silent film. It, it always is. is. But now the, what I think you are providing, you and Steve, is you're curating this material because there's a lot out there. And, and here are, are you guys coming on and saying, yeah, sure, we're gonna, we can look at Buster, but hey, have you seen Loyal, Lloyd Hamilton? Yeah. Uh, you know, have, have you seen this? Have you seen that? And I don't think there's anyone outside of Steve Massa <laughs> who would have known every one of these comedians that you have exposed over the last and, year and, and a half. And the dogs as well, and the <laughs> elephants. <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely astounding. As much as I had a hard time doing it between the silent comedy watch party, a live stream show I might be doing for any any number of different uh, art house cinemas. Plus, I was live stream and live scoring uh, every week uh, my course at Wesleyan. It was difficult. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. It was. It was stressful because, like I said before, I'm also the booth. So I'm prepping the prints, quote unquote, threading them up, making sure the graphics, this and that, troubleshooting. I've learned so much about live streaming, bandwidth, remote calls, and, and you've Zoom, had Skype. Things, you've huh? had things go down. You I, I have things yanked for rights, uh, yeah, YouTube I, blocking things. Yeah, I've troubleshooted absolutely everything. Uh, I'm sitting near my piano, so I'm going to knock wood. The only <laughs> thing I haven't had is that Spectrum Cable hasn't gone out uh, on a show day. Watch, it'll happen now on Sunday. <laughs> well, We've had re- absolutely everything happen, and I've, I've recovered from every single one of them. So there's a lot of sweat. It's difficult, but the, you know, the difference for me is that before the pandemic, if if I had a, sh- a month where I would have fifteen or even twenty shows, it, it was it's stressful. It's a lot. I would forget to take care of things. I beat myself up for forgetting stuff. But it was it was a show. I was just going to work. It's time to make the donuts. And with 
with what's been going on the last 20 months, as Sunday would would start to roll around, I think of those people uh, out there in the audience, you know, you know, <laughs> no, it's who, the gathering of the tribe. It really is. You know, it was, and it, and it's not just oh, people who've come to see the movies. These these are people who are counting on the silent comedy watch party to put a smile on their face. We get comments every week from a couple of different people on Twitter who this is the highlight of my week. I had a horrible week, but this lifted my spirits. Uh, and this is the people we hear from. You know, we know from the mm-hmm. numbers how many screens are watching and then I always add 40% because there's couples and families. Right. And it was this sense of what I was saying about Bob Hope and the soldiers that these people needed these laughs and uh, I felt, okay, no matter how difficult or stressful it is or what kind of a difficult time I'm having, um, these people are counting on me for the, for, and Steve and Mon and Susan and Marlene and Crystal to put on a show and lift their spirits and get them through whatever they're going through. And it, it's really true. And that's not what putting on a silent comedy show or a silent film show was until, the you know, up through the beginning mm. of March of, of last year. Yeah, it's really Yeah, so definitely an emotional responsibility. Maybe 90% of the people who watch do not write in, but I have to assume it's the same thing, and I will encounter them at some point. I do want Somewhere. to just make a shout, shout out because you, you dropped her name a couple of times. Yeah. I thought Marlene Weissman, she always does wonderful design work for you, but there's something about that Watch Party logo that is just fun. Uh, that I think it's really yeah. sparked people. And, and yeah, you want the, the T-shirt to say, uh, you know, I belong, but it also, it, it looks great. It's Yeah. It's a fantastic logo. The Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell is brought to you by Undercrank Productions, home of the neglected and the unexpected in classic film. In 2015, Undercrank Productions reintroduced to the world a funny, graceful, resourceful, and inventive silent film comedian named Marcel Perez and released all of his films known to exist at that time. Three years later, as Film International put it, after the success of that initial collection, and at the behest of fans clamoring for more, a second edition was released, eight more films and one fragment. Dating from the years 1907 to 1923, they display meticulous ingenuity with fluctuating speeds, stop motion, reverse motion, and frame-within-frame superimpositions. Donald Travis Stewart, known as Trav SD, says, Man, did I enjoy these films. It's so strange that a guy this talented and funny fell by the wayside. The nearsighted cyclist ought to be made widely available as an important silent comedy benchmark. Celic News says it's full of the slapstick you would expect. Movie Silently writes, We are fortunate these films can finally be seen again. Quite a treasure chest. And DBT Talk says, just as fun and entertaining as the first volume. This is a disc you'll want to add to your collection. Some Kind of Hero is hilarious, a great gag film that's sure to please. The Marcel Perez Collection Volume 2 is due at all the expected places. Amazon, Deep Discount, the TCM Shop, Critics' Choice, and wherever classic film home entertainment is sold. The interesting thing is now we're moving in two directions because you have committed here and elsewhere that the watch party will continue in some form or other. Yeah. Um, you're not pulling the curtain down. On the other hand, other venues, particularly art houses, 
are moving away from streaming. So what's going yeah. on with that? Well, there is this double-edged sword. As far as the silent comedy watch party, so far it's working out. Starting in June of 2021, we went to twice a month instead of every week. I was burnt out. I needed a break. And also, I wanted to leave those week, you know, every other weekend open so I could say yes to a venue who then wanted to have me come in. And as it turned out, that is exactly what happened. It's one of those, if, if you clear some space, something will fill it up kind of things. Mm-hmm. So we all thought that the fall was going to go one way. And it kind of didn't go as a continuation of what the summer was. Moving to one show, one watch party live stream a month, that's going, that may happen at some point. But all of us who work on the shows feel that we don't want to stop it. There are people for whom there is no other way to see silent film with live music or to see silent film at all. I feel the same way about the shows that I've been doing every month with the Cinema Arts Center. I'm hosting all the tech end of it, but they're doing the ticketing. And every month we do we do a silent film show. Dylan Skolnick, who's the co-director of the cinema, has said, even when they reopen, we'll continue. It may not be every month. It may be every other month. We get people from all over the country. In February, we showed within our gates. We had a guest speaker, Bill Jennings, who's a professor at Hofstra. And there were a couple, there's somebody in Poland who was watching. I don't know, it must, must have been 2 o'clock in the morning and had a question. And mm. so the thing about not stopping is that it's almost like I've opened a movie theater, except that nobody's in the same room. But I still think of it as a cinema, and I think still think of it as an audience. It's just that everybody is spread out all over planet Earth. So what's happening now with art houses, everyone has basically said, we're closing down, we're phasing out our virtual cinema, we're reopening. And the trick now is that the capacity really hasn't changed too much in terms of the seating capacity. And what I'm seeing with live streaming and virtual cinema is uh, what happens to the people who, who either found you who don't live near you or the people that the audience that I'm talking about, I don't have a name for it, this virtual audience that I know that I've built up. It may not be Kevin Hart or Taylor Swift kind of numbers, but there is an audience all over the planet who tunes in, who may not have seen whatever the film was, And I feel obligated in some way to people who found silent film or rediscovered silent film through streaming platforms. It seems like it was really seen as a a stopgap measure for most people. Everybody's, okay, great, we can reopen. And then there, there goes the virtual thing. But I have a different connection with it. Having been the first one to figure it out, as far as live streaming accompaniment to silent films, I was actually pretty surprised that it it did not catch on. Well, it's it, <laughs> as much as I thought it would. I think it's a different type of institutional perspective. Now, in the live theater, for instance, there was a survey by Theater Communications Group, and the institutional theater said that virtual theater doesn't uh, make sense for us financially, and we're going back, and um, we're probably not going to keep selling tickets and using this as as any kind of a revenue stream. However, a third to a half of them have said, and and this is a case where often their product is utterly unique. They may be presenting a world premiere. They may have a relationship with the playwright. And so, yes, they have a local audience that can actually reach the building 
but they don't mind saying, you know, we're going to continue doing some virtual as a matter of outreach to an audience wherever they are because of our responsibility to the artists. Right. Um, so it's, it's that we said it doesn't do anything for us for our audience building, really, except maybe people in our community who don't have the resources. But it's just it's 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 something the reaching out the larger community. And it's a question of whether the film art houses can feel the same way. They may just feel a more of a very local responsibility because yeah. everybody can show October and uh, Nosferatu, you, you know, if you get your get yeah. your hands on them, they, they can all show yeah. the same films. So yeah. it's a matter of, of they they may just have a more local focus than uh, other institutions. Whereas you know, the great thing about the the watch party, it uh, it exists uh, everywhere and nowhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This isn't really a knock against art houses. Mm-hmm. I, I completely understand where they're coming from because they are movie theaters, and. Suddenly, they couldn't be movie theaters, but wanted to continue to connect and offer things to their fan base and their patrons. And so once they could resume being movie theaters, of course, they would want to go back to being movie theaters. I think that for me, because I'm always looking for something new and what's the next thing and what an audience building. It's like I've opened a movie theater that doesn't exist in a physical sense. And I don't want to shut it down for the people for whom there is no other access, not only to silent film, but especially to silent film with live accompaniment. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the main. Yes. For me, again, it's a puzzlement to me why it hasn't caught on as much as I thought it might. You know, I'll tweet about a, a stream I'm doing and I'm saying, where else can you see Charlie Chaplin films with live music in your house? You know, I'm I'm in your I'm in your home live live accompanying. When we did the the stream of Chicago, somebody uh, on Facebook posted a link to it, and there, a friend of theirs commented, "Oh, I have this on DVD." And they said, "No, no, you don't understand. Ben's playing live during it." Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if if there isn't that much of a difference for people, or if people just haven't tried it yet. It's like the silent movie theater in Los Angeles, except this one is all over. You know, it's this virtual. Virtual cinema. So I'm trying to. I'll try. I'm going to continue finding a way to make to make make that work. I think there's a future for it. It may not be huge Portanoni kind of numbers or audience, but I know how to do this. I've done like 130 of these things now. I just really know how to do it, how to make it work. I have this great software for live streaming where the two guys who invented it helped develop an automation script for me, so I can click one button. I have this format. I think there's an audience for it. And I don't yeah. think I've been to one of your shows at the Silent Clowns, at uh, AFI Silver, at any other theater where there hasn't been at least one person who said, this is the first time I've seen a silent film with live music and it made a difference. It, yeah. They say it every time people... It's one of those things you don't know how good it's going to be until you until you right. do it, until you're exposed it's, to it. Yeah. Right. It's like I always say, you have to drag people past the word silent Mm -hmm. and get them into the theater. But the live music is definitely a big element. And this is why I accompany everything on my acoustic piano with all its idiosyncrasies. But you know it's a real instrument when you're hearing it. If I'm using my keyboard and and samples, it could be a recording. Mm -hmm. It's important for that presence. I think there's a future for it. I don't know what that is. 
I believe that I have found what Seth Godin calls the smallest viable audience. <laughs> and and as, as opposed to looking for the lowest common denominator, which he refers to as a race to the bottom. But to continue offering what I do, do what I can to get the, the word out. And besides the watch party, there's a lot of silent film that doesn't get shown that is public domain where I won't have to license it. And this is the, the titles that I've, I've been programming with art houses and with the, especially the Cinema Arts Center. The, what uh, I was talking with, I think we was talking with Shirley Hughes of Toronto Silent Film Festival. We call, she said, yes, yeah, they're, they're the PD classics. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the films that everybody goes, oh, that's PD, everybody runs it, and then nobody programs it. So when we showed The Eagle, I actually wound up booking The Eagle twice. And it, it went over great, and it was one of these, oh, I can't believe I, I've never seen this. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. There is an audience. I don't know how long it will take to gradually snowball and build. And it also allows me to be uh, a guest speaker at university classes, which I've done a couple of times. As everyone has discovered with regular Zoom, you can have guest speakers from anywhere come and talk to your class. The difference is that what I figured out how to do with the software and working with Vimeo is that I can live stream a, live, a silent film show with live music. Now to demonstrate the importance of the audience to the performance of a silent film, let's go back to July to that in-person screening of Buster Keaton's Our Hospitality at the Museum of Modern Art and hear a few minutes of Ben's score for the latter part of the train sequence that starts the story. We hope you enjoy hearing the laughs.
That was a few minutes of Ben Modell's improvised score to Our Hospitality as performed in Titus One at the Museum of Modern Art in July of 2021. Ben and I had a lot more to talk about to wrap up the year 2021, and you'll hear that in our next episode, 43. Well, that's our that's our show. This has been episode 42, believe it or not, of the Silent Film Music Podcast with Ben Modell. It's the podcast that takes you inside the mind of someone as they prepare for, perform, and reflect upon performances of live musical accompaniments to silent movies. I'm your host, Ben Modell. I'm a silent film accompanist, historical presenter, and I'm here as I am every time with my co-host and co-producer, Kerr Lockhart. We hope you stay safe, stay healthy, stay well, and have a good holiday season and a good New Year's.